my wife Beth and I were at a going away dinner for friends last night, and there was this sweet moment at one point where somebody had a prepared liturgy for leaving. And we went through this liturgy, and there was about eight of us gathered around this couple in Batola, and we were wishing them well, saying these sweet kind of prayers over them as they went on their new adventure. And the final blessing was a benediction with the familiar refrain, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord turn his face upon you and give you peace. Peace. My peace I give to you. In John 14, Jesus is blessing his disciples just before his own departure. Uh, They did not actually know that this was a departure until his death the next day, but Jesus was going away and promised his peace to rest upon them until they could join him. We have in our reading from Revelation 21 and 22, um, it presents this grand vision of a remade heaven and earth, a, a picture of supreme glory which awaits those who trust Jesus, picturing the ultimate peace. And so these readings, I think they act as sort of bookends for us, of telling a larger story in which we are caught in the middle, as it were. The plot has moved us through different challenges and opportunities, and we have a picture of sorts of what awaits us on the other side, and yet here we are in the present, caught between things in the past and a future that awaits us. And so we can join the disciples in wondering Judas, not Iscariot, but another disciple, he was asking Jesus, how's the world going to know who you are? Christians are called to love God and love their neighbor. This is familiar language Jesus uses about loving him and keeping and attending to his commandments and teachings. Um, And later, in the next chapter, Jesus gives specific instructions on what it means to abide in him, the true and living vine, what it means to keep up relationship in the absence of his physical presence with them and with us. And yet his disciples still didn't understand why he was telling them that he had to go and he would send the helper to them. Um, They will not live in peace yet, and so Jesus, he is preparing them for a mission for which they are not yet prepared. Just like Adam and Eve were not prepared for the temptation that would be levied upon them by the serpent and the alluring fruit. Just like Abraham, their patriarch, uh, he was not prepared to leave his familiar homeland in order to follow and trust the Lord and going to a land that the Lord would show him. Just like the great prophet Moses was not prepared for playing the role of deliverer in bringing his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. Just like King David was not prepared as the youngest son of Jesse to to be the heir to the throne of Israel. And just like the Jews in Jesus' own day were not prepared for a Messiah who would come as a servant king in humility, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, whose atoning death would wind up saving a multitude. And now his disciples find themselves not yet prepared to be his ambassadors to the world, in the earth-shattering news that death and sin no longer reign, that God's righteousness and justice prevail, that 
people can again hope because of the work of God's Messiah through Jesus, who is the Christ. It's through Christians, Jesus says, that the world is going to know who He is. They will know you by your love. The church, the gathering of people who trust and follow Jesus, they are a signpost to the rest of the world of what is yet to come, that in the last day all will be right and good. His peace will be perfectly in our presence. And so in John we hear Jesus reassuring his troubled disciples that even in his absence they would have help. They wouldn't be left alone. He gives this promise of the Spirit to be the helper. Jesus says, He will teach you things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. He will lead us into all truth because He Himself is the way, the truth, and the life. That through Jesus we have access to God and are restored to our original design as image bearers. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Also in the Revelation reading in chapter 21, we get glimpses of this breathtaking vision of the kingdom arriving in all fullness where the Lamb of God is reigning over a flourishing and peaceful new heavens and new earth in the heavenly city. Jesus need not offer any more hope or peace or comfort because it is already there. It is not lacking in any way. It's a kingdom full of light and goodness and joy and love. It's a kingdom of flourishing. It's God dwelling with His people in the absence of the curse. Um, This is exemplified by the imagery in chapter 22 of a fruitful garden set in the midst of a bustling city. Picture Railroad Park at its best downtown, full of vibrant activity. See, this vision, it rouses our senses and it excites our imaginations. A new heaven, a new earth. All is well. It's commonly referred to by just heaven. (laughs) The idea that enraptures all of our longings and our desires where our wildest dreams come true. Um, it's It's the... place of being where all peace and love and joy abound, where tears, pain, fear, and disappointment have been vanished. And so our sagging hearts can gain courage when we hear this vision that grips us, when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid. Um, I remember a movie from my childhood. It's called American Tale. It, uh, it, it any of you remember this animated film? It's about a family of Russian mice. And they go on this quest for America where they're going to find freedom and help to pursue their dreams. And uh, they are, as all mice are, they are troubled by cats chasing them. And they have this vision. They've heard that there are no cats in America. America is this wonderful place that they can go to where they'll be able to pursue all their life in freedom. And uh, so they have this grand promise, and that becomes their anthem, their song that they sing while they're on the ship. There are no cats in America. No cats in America. And, and this hope keeps their spirits up throughout this journey um, because there's no longer a threat. Imagine that everything that's evil and wrong and painful not existing. 
Uh, that prospect brings enthusiasm and hope. It brings levity to our hearts. Now, of course, these mice do end up finding out that they were uh, given misinformation. There are indeed actually cats in America, too. But Fievel and his family, they were given this hope of a cat-free existence, and so they pursued their dream, and they held that vision before them. It spurred them on. And I know that all of us here, you and me, the kids upstairs, everybody, we, because we're human, we have hopes and dreams. We have deep longings. My five-year-old daughter, Aiden, I mean, she wants to be the little mermaid when she grows up. She has big dreams of being Princess Ariel. On the other hand, I have a friend who's recently lost his job. All he really dreams for and hopes for is a job so he can support his wife and his three kids. Um, most months, at the end of the month, I'm just hoping that the ledger will balance out so that there's maybe just a little bit extra to do something different with. Your dream might be for your loved one to be disease-free. Or perhaps you're longing to be married. Or maybe your desire is to have children. Maybe it, your dreams may include uh, wanting to be reconciled with someone um, with a broken relationship or that you've lived with a sense of regret. See, all of our deepest hopes and longings, especially given the Christian vision of Jesus standing, saying, Behold, I'm making all things new. Um, if we're honest, we feel the tension of what it means to be here in a world knowing that we were made for another world. There's no cats in America. And yet, we live in a world scarred and stained by sin and death. And so the gap between where we are and where we long to be, it grows into an enormous gulf. What can bridge such a gulf? What are we to make of Jesus' promise to us in John 14? Jesus tells his disciples that he's going away to be with his father, but he's sending the helper. That's the paraclete. The paraclete. It almost sounds like a substitute teacher um, or a babysitter to keep us occupied until the parent can come back. But Jesus is speaking of giving the church a very rich gift, an enormous and special privilege and promise in the Holy Spirit. So he calls the third member of the Trinity here the paraclete. Some translations might say advocate, intercessor, counselor. But this word paraclete evokes the image of a lawyer um, providing legal representation, somebody advocating on your behalf. Jesus says the Spirit will come alongside you in such a way that, as this, that the Holy Trinity will come and abide with you. It's an amazing promise. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That receiving, upon receiving Christ, the God of the universe comes and makes his home. And his home in this temporal world is within the believers in his church. It is in our presence. At the beginning of this chapter, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he, he speaks of going away to prepare a place, a home for his disciples. And there's, there's this familiar verse quoted at funerals that goes like this, I'm going away to prepare a place for you and will come again and bring you to where I am so you can be with me also. 
God prepares a place for you and me. You have a home in the new heavens and new earth. You have a place where you belong, where you're fully accepted and loved. This is wonderful news that we see in our Revelation reading. And yet, now Jesus is saying something about living in this world now. Absent of the new heavens and new earth, we become the home, the dwelling place, the inhabitation of God on earth. God is making us into a place of His habitation. He's taking up residence in the world, and He's making His home in you. So He says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This is, this is intimate language. It's God dwelling with you, making His home in you. It sounds outlandish. It sounds ridiculous. And yet it's a promise that Jesus says, the counselor, the helper, He will make His presence in your midst. See, because God has always loved dwelling with His people. It's always been about relationship. That's why he instructed Moses in the Old Testament to erect a tabernacle wherever the Jews wandered in the wilderness, that they would set the tabernacle up and that would be the place where they would go to meet with the Lord God, where they would provide the proper sacrifices and rituals to maintain that relationship. And then under Solomon's leadership, they built the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple was to be a permanent place where the, the Lord's Spirit would specially reside there. That's why... Even in Jesus' day, even in the Gospels, we find Jesus going up to Jerusalem to worship at Passover. It was a tradition, an annual tradition for the Jews to go to where the temple is because that's where God is. We are going to go and meet the Lord. Scripture testifies, though, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy of this idea of tabernacle and temple and God's presence. John's gospel actually opens with this line in the second paragraph, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a familiar phrase. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It actually literally reads, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Tabernacled with us. He is is the exact representation of God's glory. Um, He made his dwelling among humanity by, by taking human form. And so that's why Jesus would later say, destroy this temple, and on the third day I will raise again. Um, Jesus is God in the flesh and demonstrates the longing God has to be with his people, to be in a restored relationship. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus' promise is fulfilled after his resurrection, and he sends the Holy Spirit upon the church as a permanent presence. Why we say, would two or more gathered in Christ's name, He is there in the midst of them. He is here now. We are, as the church, the visible sign of God's presence, of this invisible kingdom, becoming more and more visible in the world. I know it doesn't look like that always, but we have a picture in Revelation that gives the, and culminates in the end of a need for a temple. It says in Revelation 21, the Lamb Himself is the temple, the Lamb of God. Jesus, who has taken away our sin. There's no need for a meeting place with God because the veil is taken away, that we have the very real presence of God in our midst in the new heavens and new earth. We have God dwelling with people in perfect peace. And there's a picture of flourishing, hence the garden imagery, and the river of life flowing from the throne. That is our vision. That is our hope 
in a snapshot. God with us, and we in the full unimpeded presence of His holiness. And so Jesus gives this paraclete, this helper, as a way to remind us that we have His peace. It's a blessing of sorts spoken to you and me. May things go well with you. Only it's a lot more than that. It's when he says peace, it's the Hebrew sense of shalom, of wholeness, completeness. Though the world may promise such things as prosperity or happiness or entertainment, only Jesus can give true peace, true wholeness, true healing, exemplified in the fruitfulness and the healing of the waters of the river of life in Revelation. Now it's important to note that when Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, those are both in the present tense. It is an ongoing sense of you have His peace that you can access at any time. It is He freely gives us peace. He gave it to us yesterday. He gives it to us today. Now He will give it to us tomorrow. Right now He gives us peace. His peace is for us. The Holy Spirit is with us as our helper as we are on the way. We don't have to ascend to a certain place or a spiritual um, mountaintop to receive this. He comes into the midst of us. He comes to where we are and He is the deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. God gives us a foretaste of our destiny telling us how the story ends to help us live in it now. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. Then we shall see Him as He is and even become like Him in our own death. So until then, you and I, we are invited to yearn for His kingdom, to struggle. To struggle in hope. Um, as Paul says that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Hope. That might feel like a distant tease or some kind of pie in the sky a phrase that might elude you in your everyday struggles. You might be here tonight and wondering, does God really care for me? Does He really love me? It is hard for me to find hope in my daily existence. And this is a reminder from Christ Himself to you. He gives you His peace. God is preparing you, even now, to face any number of things that are down the road. But you will not face them alone as an orphan. You are promised to face them as His child. He is with you. That's why He gives us His Holy Spirit. You know, Martin Luther said about the paraclete in Jesus' gracious gift to the church. He said, The good gifts God bestows on us are such as like a father and mother, government, order, temporal peace, and the like. How angry can God really be if He lets His Son rise for us every day? if He gives us good weather, if He lets all kinds of plants, fruits, and nourishment grow for us, if He favors us with healthy bodies and members. He does not want to do us harm. Otherwise, He would not have given us His word, baptism, or the sacrament. By this, I think Luther is saying that he has promised that God's love is made real and ready and available for you in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That by sending His Holy Spirit to us, He is ministering to us, and we can become empowered to participate in the very experiences that provide glimpses into our destiny. 
We see God's righteousness and justice manifested in, his, in works of mercy and love. And in this way, Christians gathered as the church of Jesus Christ, we act as a signpost of that which is to come. We offer a starving world a foretaste of the feast that awaits us all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.